Hi, and welcome to the Compassionate Achiever Podcast. I'm Tracy Day. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Chris Cook. How are you? All right, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It is just a beautiful day out there. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of good energy in this room right now. Yes. Is there not? I I think there definitely is. And our guest today has slid right into our comfort comfort level. I love that. Yeah. I I mean, even our new windscreens. Right. (laughs) We're not even going to go into why uh, we need those windscreens because I tend to pop my peas. But did you notice there were no popping? Hopefully on that one there weren't. I think Pete would be very proud of you. (laughs) Pete would be proud of I'm going to have to go home and do little lyrical things or something to get over popping my peas. So um, quick introductions. Dr. Chris Cook, political and social science professor at Western Connecticut State University, founder of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation. He's director of the Kathwari Honors Program, a Harvard Fellow, Fulbright Scholar, and ex-counterintelligence officer. But the reason we're here today is, of course, your latest achievement of the, he's the author of The Compassionate Achiever, How Helping Others Fuels Success. And our topic today is going to be compassion towards people with disabilities. And I am so happy to have Jane Davis here. Hi, Jane. Hi. Thanks for being with my us. Pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Seriously, Jane, thanks. I mean, you, you really are the epitome of a compassionate achiever, especially in what you do as president and CEO of Ability Beyond. Uh, Ability Beyond is a company that provides job training and placement for people with disabilities. They also have several different supported living services along with recreation and educational enrichment. Jane holds a master's degree in organization leadership from Quinnipiac University, and she's a member of a whole bunch of public outreach committees and leadership teams, a real forerunner that has pioneered so many groundbreaking programs for the disabled. So thanks for coming to talk to us thanks about so that today. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be here. And I know you just came off a nice vacation. So you were very sweet to <laughs> take my, the time. Wait, my pleasure. We didn't pull you from vacation, did we? You did not. Oh, okay. All right. No. No. That would not have been very good. No, that wouldn't, have been, <laughs> that wouldn't have been a good thing. But you, you were just returning to work yesterday, right? I so. did, yes. But you were very accommodating. I well, appreciate it. No, I, I so appreciate you being here. So um, we've you've been with Ability Beyond, and it used to be called Ability Beyond Disability, right? That's correct. And mm-hmm. you've been there for about 30 years now? I, since 1984. That is incredible. First of all, you don't even look old enough. Did you start there at 12 or something? Yes, that's how I started. I know. That's so weird. That's an amazing middle school project that that you started. (laughs) You steal that all. Yeah, exactly. You wrote it. You wrote a term paper in middle school and started your internship there. Dang, that's pretty impressive. (laughs) 1984, seriously. Yes, 1984. Wow. Wow. So, how did you get involved with it? You know, it's funny we're here. at Whitehall because I was probably in this building taking an abnormal psych class and you had the you had the choice between writing a term paper or volunteering in a group home. Really? Yeah. And I volunteered in a group home. Who wants to write a term paper? Not me. So some people not the rest of us. So sorry, so sorry. Um, and I I did it for the semester and, and I was a psych undergrad and I loved it. Um, and thought, you know, what a great, what a great job for a psych undergrad, and I can get do get an overnight position um, at uh, then Daytar, 
And I started and I fell in love with it. I've honestly loved almost every minute of my entire um, career there. And you've been there ever since. I've been there ever since. So it was DATAR. Right? It was DATAR. What, what was that acronym? Uh, it was horrible, a, an outdated, um, awful acronym, but it was the Danbury uh, Association to Aid the Handicapped and Retarded. And we don't use those terms anymore, obviously, but right. that's how it started in the 50s, actually. With oh, a group wow. Of, a group of families in a basement getting together, and um, they started with a little daycare, a little group, wanting the best for their kids with disabilities, and that turned into them advocating for educational programs. and. We started a day program uh, in the 50s, and it, it's grown from there, right here in, in Danbury. See, and, and for me, you brought up something that's kind of unusual in this day and age, right? When, you know, our, our uh, grandfathers, grandmothers, and, and even some of our parents had jobs, those jobs, those businesses gave them almost lifetime employment, basically. Mm-hmm. And what you said to me, you know, rang true, that you loved every almost every minute, right? You're being honest there. <laughs> <laughs> that I think that people forget and I'd love to for you to speak about this that a job isn't really a job if you love it right it becomes part of who you are and I think one of the keys to that is it provides meaning it provides purpose there's Mm -hmm. an intrinsic value to it right that um that you see is is that what you see is that or is you know or is it something different no no no, that's absolutely right and I think uh, that was absolutely true for me I mean I just you know, fell in love with it, but fell in love with making an impact on the people that we serve and making a difference in uh, the lives of other people. And it's something we're actually trying, really investigating right now as an organization. And I think it's a big thing in our industry to try and capture, um, you know, the language around making that, making the impact, growing individually. And we're actually evaluating tools that help you tell if someone coming in to your organization is uh, purpose driven or not. I mean, so not everybody is. But, but a lot of people are, and those, that's, that's probably who's going to be a good fit for a nonprofit like um, ours, sure. the, the work that we do. Is it a test kind of a thing, or oh, so, what yeah, is it? Uh, there are a few out there. We're looking at two right now, um, but they're, they're evaluation tools uh, that, that help determine if you're someone who's into you know, status and do more of a transactional business and you care about making money and um, having status, or you want to make an impact in the lives of others, and that's where you get your meaning and your relationships at work. Um, so the, the one we've looked at, there are two. One is um, we, I went to Seattle with our HR team and was, was trained on it, uh, called Imperative. And it was founded by Aaron Hurst, who um, he was the founder of Taproot, if you've ever heard of that organization. And uh, we, we were there for, for a few days learning about that tool and how important it is for people to really feel that are purpose-driven, to feel that they're making an impact with the work they do, that they... I'm, I'm, I'm a commercial right now for no, Imperative. No, this is good. He no. should be happy, no, but... And, um, and I, this yeah, is a, a tool. tool. I was just going to say, yeah. this could be really helpful. Right. S- say the name of it again. It's, it's called Imperative. And... Um, they can find it online, they, I'm they assuming. Probably, yeah, I think so. Um, and they look at, you know, um, what kind of what kind of person you are, what kind of leader you are, what kind of purpose-driven um, person you are, uh, how purpose-driven you are, and uh, what's important to you in terms of relation. That they, They're trying to help, help companies and employers uh, find ways to help their employees see the impact and, uh, that they make, uh, help you know, 
make relationships at work, mm-hmm. which are becoming more and more important. People think used to think that wasn't important. It really is. It is. It's critical for me sure. and a big part of why Especially I love my job so much. That you spend all this time all this with. time, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually you probably, I think most people spend more time at work, unfortunately, than they do with their family members. Right. You know, really given a whole day. Um, how much of that? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Are you out working out? You're doing all these different things. These are the people you spend, you spend a lot more of time, time with. Right. And right. then growth is the third. So that's one that we, we um, have spent a lot of time over. We're piloting. And the other is um, Chester Elton. I don't know if you know who he is. You would love him. He um, He's <laughs> great. He um, uh, wrote uh, Carrot Culture. He does a lot of around recognition. Mm-hmm. And um, he's great because he he lives his carrot culture principle by wearing orange all the time he always has an orange <laughs> sock and orange ties yeah, what is the carrot the, part the, of it the that's the culture. recognition just thanking people for the work that they do so we've done a lot of work oh, around the that carrot. saying thank okay. you yeah, the carrot yes. is is instead of a stick mm-hmm. you know? right. but um he and and his uh company have, have are looking at purpose-driven tools as well so we're looking at his as well so it's 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 good stuff and i think it will help us uh, in our industry then the turnover yeah. Uh, is 50%. Wow. Really? So we, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we talk to organizations that have 50%, 60% turnover. 60% of the people that you just hired this year leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and our goal this year was to hit 21, and we hit 17.6%, which for our industry is wow. a huge difference. It's a great number uh, for our industry. It's really, really hard work. So to have that that low a number for um, turnover is really great for us and for our industry. But we're always looking at ways to just make that better and better and, and really recognize the, the hard, hard work that our direct support staff do. Well, and we've talked about this before, the compassion fade, compassion yes. burnout. I mean, do- Well, it's actually empathy burnout, right? Oh, right, right, right. No, you don't get it. See, I'm learning this too. Oh. So. It's not, yeah, it's not compassion burnout or compassion fatigue. And in the 80s, right, nursing literature called it compassion fatigue, compassion burnout, but we now know through neuroscience, it's really empathy. And I was going to go there too, Tracy, with you. See? We're on the same wavelength there. On it. Oh, yeah, we had it going on. It. And, and I was going to ask, because purpose-driven, that's key, right? And, and we've talked about that before, mm-hmm. and you've just highlighted it in a beautiful way, and with numbers, and with tools. Yeah. So thank you for that, Jane. Um, but one of the things that you know we found out in, in the research was that, you know, your type of occupation, nursing, hospitals in general as well, tend to attract uh, people who have a lot of empathy. And empathy can take you down. It can burn you down, right? It's like a, it's like a flame. A flame can light the way for you, but if it falls down and starts to burn, it can take down the whole house, mm. right? And it can burn you out. Where compassion actually is, is, uses the same neural networks as love. Empathy we now know uses the same neural networks as pain. So your brain thinks mm. it's in pain. So you can have compassion without empathy. And it's a much more stable and much more uh, sustaining type of energy to have on. So it's still caring, still in kindness, and you can understand the, you know, the problem and the suffering of another that they're going through. And you take action in compassion. But in empathy, it's really to have this understanding. You get into this, I call it a mental, emotional quicksand. Sometimes you can get down and out. Not, not to say that empathy is all bad, right? But right. empathy can be a tool if it's in check. Yeah, but, but you don't want to take on all those problems of, of someone else. Right. Right? So that Especially makes total when, sense. I didn't yeah. know any of that. 
Harvard fellow over there. That's, <laughs> that, that's, I didn't know that science behind it, but that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Doesn't it? Sense. It really does. So maybe if you're using these tools and, and you're finding that you can find people that are more compassionate than mm-hmm. empathetic mm-hmm. Um, and that really want to have purpose-driven mm-hmm. jobs, that maybe that's why your numbers are really turning around. Mm-hmm. That's that's really significant. That was a 50 percent to 17 percent yeah. or something like that. Well, in the industry nationally, the average is 50. The highest wow. we we've been in the 30s, and it was painful for us. Mm-hmm. But that would still be a great rate. Yeah. Um, so I can't imagine being at 60 or 70. And some some organizations are. So yeah, we're at 17.6. We're proud of it. That's well, you, you should, should be proud. Be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, absolutely. Yep. So um, you know, I personally. I believe that we all have disabilities. It's just to what degree you have them. Um, That's my own feeling. I think we've all got shortcomings and we all have to overcome them, but um, certainly there are those that are truly disabled. Is that the word that you use now? Is that, tell Uh, us what the piece is. Well, we say, uh, we actually have, we're always trying to look for a term for the people that we serve. Mm -hmm. And we've changed that many times. We've had clients and program participants Talk about popping peas, program participants, um, uh, you didn't pop, clients. By the way. Thank you, uh, clients, consumers, and uh, we sort of ditched all of that, and we just say people, and um, or nice. the, and if we need to, we just say the people that people we serve. Everyone's- so, and- if if you have to if you have to name the disability, you say it's a person with. Um, a disability. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that was my question. Person first. So, how do we change our culture? to not view people so differently. That's what I'm saying. I think right. we all have these disabilities, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? How do we change our culture? Is there something that you're addressing? I mean, you've said that you're changing these terms from yep. DATAR. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say, when I hear the term retarded now, it makes my skin just cringe. And unfortunately, I think that people use it as you know, it's like a joke. That's like, oh, you know, they're so retarded. It's I can't. derogatory slang. It, it is. Oh, yeah. It just, so how do we change our culture to kind of get over that? Right, that's a great question. You know, we um, like to think of ourselves as being really robust in our communities. And it's not always easy. You know, we every time we go to build a group, well, not every time, it's definitely gotten better over the years. And we've seen a big shift, especially in this area. We're, we're pretty prominent here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, think... you know, from when I started in 1984, and I've got some <laughs> timeline <laughs> perspective, right? It's gotten so much better. The, a big part of that um, have been the inclusive classrooms. So, so mm. when, when, when I started at, at uh, what's now Ability Beyond, we were uh, taking people in from institutions. A, a, a lot of our work and a lot of our growth in the 80s was when uh, there were class section suits in institutions across the state. So as that visibility changed for the people that we serve, um, it, the, it, eventually the next step to that was acceptance. Mm-hmm. Being removed from society, obviously, there's there's a, a reaction with something that's unfamiliar to you. So having deinstitutionalization has definitely helped that. Inclusive ca- classrooms, the kids that are growing up now, my kids, it's not a big deal. So that's probably the biggest shift um, that we've seen in our um, in our industry in the work and, that we do. And how long, uh, you know, would you think that's been? Like, is that a twenty-year process? <sighs> yeah, is it in the last ten years or so? Uh, yeah, I or? mean, the 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 peak of institutionalization or deinstitutionalization was the rapid growth from that. 
um, was probably in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and, and from there, there are still institutions today. Um, it's amazing, um, especially given the, the, the budget crisis that we're in because it's disproportionately expensive. I could go on and on about that. I won't, but um, you know they shouldn't be. They mm -hmm. shouldn't be anymore. Um, and it's true. We're in we're in New York as well, and it's true there too. Um, there are plans to slowly close them in New York, and they're working on it. But that's a that's that has to happen and be and be done. Mm -hmm. That's wow. So we were just talking about it earlier. Right down the hall, there's the accessibility yes. office. Right. And um, so now they have that in. You know, higher education at West Ham, they have it right to and meet the accommodation students, so that every student has the ability, the chance, the opportunity, right, to get an education at mm -hmm. any level, at any place, right. right? And that's the way it should be. I, I love this idea of right, people first. Mm -hmm. And you heard me talk about. I think every person is sacred, and if we treated every person as sacred, right, we we wouldn't be putting people down or be putting people up at certain levels. Everyone would have a chance. The same equity, basically, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's all I'm asking for, right? Is that you know if people had that 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 same chance, the same opportunities, you know, no matter where you are, no matter your ethnic background, no matter abilities or disabilities that you have, you know, I, I think this world would also be not just much more compassionate place, but I think also a better place, even in effectiveness and productivity, mm -hmm. uh, because when you start putting people down, that's contagious. Mm. Just, just people witness that, that, right? And then that tends, spiral. It does, mm. and it creates its own storm, mm -hmm. its own negative storm. And when that happens in any organization or any culture, you, you're starting to take yourself down. And I don't think we give enough credence to that uh, at all, ever. So I, that I love pack mentality mm. is not a good thing for people to just oh, we're social jump creatures, on, mm -hmm. right? That's we are. That's how we're born. And so, you know, I, I mean. To try to disconnect from that, I, I think it's to our disadvantage. And to double down on that social interaction in a positive way, I think that's to our advantage. And when I say our advantage, I'm talking about the human species. I'm talking, you can do it at Everyone. Any, every, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a great segue. Can I lay a pitch? Yes, of course lay you One can. of our pitches? Yes. <laughs> so, we, I, we, you know, we, most of what we do, 95% of what we do is Medicaid. Um, worst business model, poorly funded. You know, it's just the worst... Um, business model you can provide services under. Uh, so we're always looking at ways to kind of offset the losses from our Medicaid program. So we do a lot of fundraising. We do all of that. But we saw an opportunity when Obama introduced legislation on um, incentivizing hiring people with disabilities in your workforce. And the aspirational goal is having 7% of your workforce being people with disabilities, which, which really is a great uh, part of your diversity platform. So we started a consulting arm um, as part of Ability Beyond, as part of our nonprofit, uh, a few years ago to help corporations. We've been doing employment work really since the, the 70s, <laughs> helping people with disabilities find employment. So when that happened, uh, one of our, um, uh, our team saw the opportunity said, you know, we know how to do that. We know how to help companies embrace people with disabilities. Why don't we, you know, sell that service and help them do that? So we started Disability Solutions. You can find the link on our website, abilitybeyond.org. And we'll put it up mm -hmm. on... Yes, right. we will yeah. definitely put up the um, links. And mm -hmm. Disability Solutions uh, has a team that's now across the country. So we have uh, we have consultants working for us from all over, working remotely. And they have helped corporations make uh, disability part of their diversity platform. Which And the cell isn't compassion. It's not even doing the right thing. The cell is the business case. Because, first of all, it makes sure 
you know, your workforce more diverse. So you, and, and the more you do that, the, the, the better skill set as a, as a company you're going to have, right? Mm-hmm. The more layers of experience and, that, and perspective you'll have. But there's also a huge business case in terms of retention and, um, you know, productivity uh, for, the, for uh, people when you can make the right match with the job and the, and the person with the disability. And the buying power of 25% of America has a disability of some type. So the, the sell and the, the brand loyalty for that community is huge. Um, so we've been having great results with companies like Pepsi, um, helping them with Pepsi Act, which was hiring people with disabilities in their um, different aspects of their business across the country, helped them open a um, distribution center in Las Vegas that was all wounded warriors coming in. Mm. Um, uh, Synchrony Financial is a great partner where um, they're a client of ours. And one of our team was just in India with them. They want to expand to that market and are looking at hiring people with hearing disabilities in India. Um, so it's been a great win-win for us to try and eventually um, offset some of our losses. But it's a win-win in helping people with um, disabilities find employment across the country. So we've got some great customers. And uh, it's a great um, asset to, to have that as part of your uh, diversity so platform. Great. Yeah. And how are people with the disabilities accepted in the workforce? How do you think, you know, when they go in, do you give the actual um, company's sensitivity training? Do you, we, how does we, that work? We, we have a, a menu of services that we provide from job boards all the way to offer specific to uh, people with disabilities, all the way to, you know, really rich and on the ground, boots on the ground consulting services, including sensitivity training, accommodation training, uh, accessibility training, um, the hiring process, all of that. We would soup to nuts we offer. It's, it's a great, great uh, product. I just showed a video last night. We had a family meeting, and we have a beautiful video that, that shows some people at Synchrony Financial and their experience. They, and the people interviewed happened to be um, have mobility issues and were in wheelchairs and talked about their experience and being in the workforce and how much they're loving their job. And it, it, it's just a great um, capture. I'll send you the, the link. The link. That would be mm-hmm. great. So do you think um, employers generally hold them to different standards? And should they, or how does that work? You know, I think the whole point of hiring anybody, whether it, you know, you, me, male, female, mm-hmm. disability, not to, you know, is to you have the expectations for the job. Sometimes you might have to make some reasonable accommodations. That's the law, um, but the expectations should be the same, and they are for the people that we help get hired. They are. Mm-hmm. They are. So, Chris, I'm going to jump right back to that thing. It seems like we always circle back to it, but survival of the fittest and we, we, we we're just gonna hammer this thing. but no it, it reminds me of that again yeah. so it you know does that You're play right. a part here I, i'm playing devil's advocate because this isn't mm-hmm. I, i'm yeah, yeah. fully on board with what you're doing i don't want to sound like you know but that's my job is to pick the other side and say you know is that true are we you know what do you say to a person that says, well, they shouldn't get that job because they're not able to completely fulfill it where, you know, let's say someone else could? You know, I, I, I'm sure the people that we serve face that all the time. Nice way to play devil's advocate. <laughs> uh, but, but the truth is, with, with, generally, with some accommodation, they, you know, they wouldn't be applying for the job. We wouldn't be helping them get the job if they couldn't do the job. And mm-hmm. not just that. They're probably going to be more loyal. They're probably going to have better. You know, we've got statistics that have shown that. Um, so, uh, you know, we can help companies with faster rate to hire and all of that stuff. But the community... Uh, the disability community often has better statistics in terms of 
their loyalty to their employer, which mm-hmm. is a great, which is a great thing. And you can see when, you know, you have an employee that Jane was talking about come in that all of a sudden some people that may have been causing problems in terms of not being too kind mm-hmm. to fellow coworkers, all of a sudden have a different change mm-hmm. of culture and idea of how to work with. And and so, you know, we've talked about this before, instead of radical candor, or I like to call it front stabbing, mm-hmm. right, that, that happens in, 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 the, in the workplace, that when you have somebody who has overcome what some other people would say are some, you know, pretty big disability abilities, and then come into the workplace and jump right in, right, and give it, and not, nail it. not only 100%, right. right, but are there to 110, 120%, mm-hmm. And with a smile, because they're grateful also for having a job, a chance, an opportunity. And so, you know, it's, it's like me and becoming a professor. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, right? I'm going to give it everything I got, because there's not too many of those jobs left anymore. So you're super grateful for what you have, and so you're going to put more into it, right? Because you know this is what you went for. This is what you were hoping for, and now you got it. You don't want to lose it. goes back to what you said at the beginning, that whole... Are you doing it because you want to do it, or is it the status and the money and the this and that that? So, but and it keeps that whole flowing, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about it before. You got the dopamine going because people feeling the reward. You got the serotonin going, flowing around the office because everyone's calm, but they're also excited. And that type of atmosphere, that type of environment, generates its own people electricity, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Its own electricity that gets everyone else wired to do their job job well mm-hmm. and i've seen it over and over again where, where that happens and and some you know some of the videos that you do see you know of, of people you know going in and making a difference it, it's so funny I, when you ask jane that question all i could think of is how many times i've seen someone say oh we're going to give you know this person with you know disability a chance but what really happens is that when workers like that come into an office or into a workplace they actually energize it mm. a lot mm. more for the business side than it is for the person side. If you if you look at the bottom line of what happens, and so for me, I, that's why I was laughing. That's why when you said survival of the fittest, you know, Darwin said survival of the kindest. He never right. said survival of the fittest. And so this is one of the ways that a species would move up the evolutionary ladder most efficiently and effectively. But it would also be a way an organization, a business, would move up the ladder faster so I'm I'm all on Jane's side on this oh, right? and I know you are I, too I, I know you are but that, that yeah. but I, I gotta say Tracy that was an awesome framing of the devil's advocate mm-hmm. because it, it hit hard right. but it was it was really but I, but penetrating in a good way that. yes they do without right. a doubt right. there without are people out there that do think that and as opposed to having pity on a person mm-hmm. how do we promote compassion towards people Right. Instead of just what you were talking about, Chris, like, oh, yeah, look, we, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. right. You know, they I, don't want that. Yeah. I mean, I, I nobody mean, does. Right. And I think it's just all familiarity and experience. I think that's what that's what really helps build diversity. Uh, diversity. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the woman in the video, um, well, I'll send you the link, but she she's in, in a wheelchair and she's, you know, I'm, I'm quoting her. And she's saying, you know, I, I see it on the employer's face when I roll, when I roll in to, to be interviewed and they just kind of, oh, you know, they're mm. worried about whatever is mm-hmm. not true is there more liability is there you know anything like that um so to to have a chance at, at synchrony financial and to be here and have such a great experience 
um, you know, even she said, my goal is to get out of this chair, and if that happens, I'd still want to be here. And then you hear the, ah, the awesome. her colleagues saying how much they enjoy working with their new colleagues and how well it's working and how it's building that kind of energized atmosphere. It's a win, that's a win-win. Absolutely. It is, and it, there is a difference between right sympathy and that's it, pity mm-hmm. and compassion. Mm-hmm. Right, you're you're feeling sorry for somebody, right, on, on that pity side. Where in compassion, you're helping. Right. right, but you're helping them leads to your success too. I, I couldn't agree with right. that more. So when you, but I'm sure you bump into people that are not. Oh yeah, on that page. Sure, we all do. So yeah, <laughs> right. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I think Jane probably just sees it more than yeah, you're right. we do. That. Yeah, um, so you mentioned disability solutions. Can you know they have a, a laundry list of services that they provide. Do you actually provide training to the people you're trying to help get the job and also the people that are in the jobs? And if so, what kind of skills do you teach them? So, so um, very good question. So, right, for, so Disability Solutions is the consulting side. So that's where we're working with the company and their employees on inclusion and hiring practices and job boards and our, our services there. But our employment services for, the, for people with disabilities is a huge part excuse me, of our business, and probably the biggest numbers that we serve, about 1,200 people a year, um, and that wow. service alone, and it's a, it's a short-term wow. kind of high turnover service where people come to us. Uh, so we serve people with all kinds of disabilities. Many of them have developmental disabilities, uh, acquired brain injury survivors, and mental illness. Um, so we help with anything from identifying what kind of work they're interested in um, and to developing resumes, to interview skills, soft skills, um, so we do a lot of work in the employment space, helping them connect with community employers to get the job that they really want. Um, and we also do a lot of transition work. So that's a there's a huge, huge cliff when you leave uh, the school systems. And the great thing is that our public school systems now really embrace people with disabilities and offer a really rich array of services when you're in that system. When you age out, you kind of you kind of then hit, what? Then you hit a cliff. Right. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of the work that we're doing now um, that's really needed is helping um, those young adults transition from the school system into real life employment and supported living, so they're successful adults in their communities. Mm-hmm. A lot of the work that's that terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, so another kind of branch, if you will, um, roses for autism. Yeah. Right. Is that a newer division that you've had, or or it's, it's you've we've always had, had it, it for about five years, six okay. years. I'll have to check exactly when that started but that's a great story so tell um, us about so that. and the transition services leads right into it we were approached the pinchbeck rose farm was a legacy farm um, in, in business for decades and decades and had sold their beautiful connecticut grown roses to barbara bush and martha stewart and it's they've been in the white house all these famous people and uh went out of business because of the competition with you know um we call them Colombian uh, rose lords, but they're really easy to grow. Um, they grow them just for shipping, so they're, uh, you know, we, we have to heat a greenhouse, so if you can mm-hmm. imagine that. So we were approached, the, so Pinchback Rose Farm had gone out of business, and um, Tom Pinchback, um, who, who from that family, had a good friend with a son um, on the autism spectrum who was really worried about where his son would work when he, when he aged out of school. And they partnered with an autism um, organization in Connecticut at the time and came to us and said, hey, uh, Ability Beyond, would you take over a rose, the largest greenhouse in New England, wow. 100,000 square feet, if you can imagine that, and uh, start a training program and reopen 
uh, the Rose Farm and sell the product, Roses for Autism, rosesforautism.com. Um, <laughs> no, that's so, good. That's good. You <laughs> rosesforautism.com. We'll say it again. Um, <laughs> to um, uh, sell it as a sort of like a Newman's own type, um, uh, you know, yeah. um, social enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been doing that for for years now. Um, are we um, are we making as much as we wanted to? No, but uh, the the great thing about that program is it, it again it, it it brings in some revenue, but but more importantly, it provides a great training program uh, for young adults with disabilities mm-hmm. and uh, in every aspect of the business. So growing, selling the website, um, how to take beautiful pictures of flowers. Um, the marketing, um, so they're learning all kinds of so aspects. So it's not just the it's growing, not just the it's growing, not the no. farming. It's all aspects of the business, and it's also the sauce sales. And we, we, we have a little shop there at the farm. We're selling online. We ship anywhere in the continuous United States, uh-huh. by the way. All right. uh, we also launched a perfume called Ardent Rose. I should have brought a bottle. I'll, I'll get you one. Oh. Uh, where uh, Badukian Research, um, right around the corner, Bob Badukian's on our board and has done fragrance research for years, helped us launch Ardent Rose, which captures the scent of our Lavande Rose, which no is our way. best-selling rose that we grow at the farm. And um, so they've ha- they've they're learning how about marketing for fragrances to have a non-perishable product has been helpful for us. Um, so it's we were just on NBC Nightly News, the Rose Farm, talking about that product that and terrific. the program. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's a great, great program. So comprehensive. Very comprehensive and a great um, a great learning opportunity for the young adults that we serve there. And and the, I'm I'm not kidding. The roses open all the way because they're grown locally. Um, they're they're meant to open like old fashioned roses used yeah. to open all the way. They're super fragrant. They're There's gorgeous. so many now. You just yes. they, they go yes. whoop right. Over the That's right. <laughs> they never they're meant, open. They're meant they're just, to just, yeah. yeah. Whoop whoop. You know? <laughs> That's because they're meant. They're grown to survive the sh- sure. you know the shipment from mm-hmm. from South America to here, and ours are are grown right here. So they're they're really beautiful, really fragrant. And and look at the jobs that you right. I, I mean, so many that you listed, I would have never even thought about. Right. Um, well, and all that teaches responsibility. Oh, right. Teaches right. resiliency. Right. Right, because you inevitably you're going to have you know downtimes, right? And so it teaches them all of those skills that all of us need. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Now, do most of them um, stay there and continue to work at the farm, or do they take those skills and apply it someplace our, our, else? Our goal uh, ultimately for people going through that program is that they find an employment in the job that they that they connect with, mm-hmm. and they they find their forever job and are happy there. Right. Now kind you, of like what you did. Yeah, that's just like, right. that's right. I found my. I happened to find it when yeah. I was eighteen, but yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's so great. So I'm curious: um, are the numbers of people with autism on the rise, or are we just hearing more about it now? I mean, it seems like it's such a, a hot topic yeah, right it, now. It, it, but I, I would, you know, that, that's a really controversial question, and there are people that are much more, um, you know, able to answer that. For us, it. It's definitely it's definitely on the rise. It's not just the changes in how it's diagnosed, mm-hmm. and we see it in our referral base. It's it's really really unbelievable, really unbelievable. The the increase and how many in um, people do you serve? Oh, that um, are on that spectrum. I mean, we serve a lot of um, uh, different disability types. So we serve a lot of people with mental illness. We've got robust programs there. A lot of people with general developmental disabilities, um, uh, but it's probably about twenty percent of the people that we serve overall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And and give me that number again. Was it 
1,200? How many people do you serve? We serve like over 3,000 people a year in wow. both states. Guess yeah. I missed that. Right. I, I got that. 1,200 is for employment. <laughs> okay. So remember, we have okay. uh, we have uh, group homes in both states. We have mm-hmm. supported living programs where we help people in their own apartments. Some are in their family home. We have an outpatient clinic um, in New York where we do PTOT speech uh, and podiatry and psych mm-hmm. there. Um, so, we, I mean, I could go on and on. We do transportation, um, disability solutions. We're touching a lot of lives, roses for autism. So we have, a, you know, it's too much to even go into too much detail, but we, do, we have a lot of supplemental services as well. So over 3,000 people a year in, in, in Connecticut and New York. Well, thank goodness there are people like you, Jane. Who, Without a doubt. And you, how many staff do you have? That, 1,200. About 1,200 oh, staff. wow. That's really incredible yeah. with a turnover of and you're going to figure out how to even get that get that number get that down, down right, right? Mm-hmm. not to have the uh, empathy burnout so every um podcast we we throw this question to people and um there's no right answer so i'm just going to throw it out there what do you think of the word compassion is it a virtue a value or a verb you know what? I'm sure everybody gives you this answer, but it's all three. Does Can everybody give me that, that answer? Yeah. That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's fair. That's I mean, absolutely. You know, yeah. um, Some people say all three. Other mm-hmm. people pick one or the other. And so it's, but it's in the explanation, I think, right. is where the value right. of all right. of uh, I mean, it's definitely something that you want to be doing actively as, as much as possible in your life and in your day-to-day work. I aspire to that. Uh, it's a virtue that I aspire to as well. I forgot the third. I, th- I forgot verb. the third verb. Right? Yeah. Value of yeah. virtue. Or yes, verb. Oh, and a value, right? Um, and you know, we we we're actually doing a lot of work this year around our culture and defining it really well. And um, we have our values on paper, but there are quite a few. And compassion is definitely one. So is passion. Um, and there you go. so we're uh, it's 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 huge. And where where is the future of these kinds of programs going that you provide through Ability Beyond? You know, it's uh, it's scary because you know nationally, uh, it's scary to think about uh, you know as a nation how how compassionate we are and and um, you know it's hopefully uh, we can keep that moving in the right direction. Connecticut has a budget crisis right now we're dealing with, so mm. we're facing huge cuts Money uh, always just talks, today, doesn't it? As we're sitting here. So mm. um, uh, we have great concern in the nonprofit community over the amount of funding that we're getting as, as um, to continue services and, and the quality that we want to continue. We always have to do fundraising to make up the gap, but uh, and, and I know we always will, but it just gets a little bit tougher tougher every year. Um, so, uh, so much of it is economic. Um, I, I see more, more people interested in doing this type of work, which is great. And we see so much more inclusion in our communities, which is wonderful. So mm-hmm. it makes our job easier, but people, you know, we, we, we serve people that really need a lot of, um, specialized care and it's, it's, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. So finding the right people to do that job is always good, is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for everything you do, and thank you for being here it today. Was, it was such a pleasure. Sharing thank your you story so and what you do. So it's abilitybeyond.org? Yes, no. yeah. that's right. Okay. Abilitybeyond.org. And from there, they can get to Rose's Autism, right? They can yes. get to and Disability, Disability Solutions. Solutions. Yes, great. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great. Because I think one of the things that compassion is about is providing the tools, right, to go further, right? It's um, you know, the old saying, you know, if you just give a person a fish, 
right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. exactly right. And you're you're teaching, and I think beyond the people, your clients, or the, your the people that you're serving, you're teaching all of us. You know how that can all fit in, and and to me, that is true compassion because it's moving us all forward. Right. And sometimes, as Tracy highlighted, some people see that we're when we when we focus on that, maybe we're being weak or we're being soft. When actually you're being stronger, you're making the country stronger, you're making the community stronger. Right. Uh, and and I think we have to learn to flip that. I call it an intellectual judo. Use the weight of the people who are negative, who are doubters, who are cynics, and use that weight against them just by simply showing, you know, what can be done. And you're showing. You're, you're treating us like the Missouri, <laughs> the show yeah. me state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're exactly. showing us, you know, what what can happen. And and I'm hoping our listeners uh, today that you know you heard tools that that James talked about that can unleash the compassionate achiever within you so that you can unlock success. Thank you, Jane Davis. Appreciate it. Be sure and find us on WCSU Media, and we'll uh, be sure and put up those links to find you as well. Thank you.